Welcome to the 61st episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Today we are here to talk about UFC 274. This is a great fight card headlined by Charles Oliveira versus Justin Gaethje. We also have Rose Namajunas versus Carla Esparza in the co-main event. And the last big, big fight on this card is going to be Tony Ferguson and Michael Chandler. Three really big fights. I'm excited to talk about it. But before we get into it, a couple of quick things. First off, we now have video podcasts on Spotify. So if you're interested in that, those are available. If not, no worries. Um, we also changed the thumbnails on YouTube. So if you noticed that, um, you might have saw that on the last episode. But um, that is, we're going to do that from now on. And the last thing is that we're not going to talk about any of the recent fight announcements. Those are all going to come on Sunday with the recap video. So if you're looking for the recent fight announcements, they're not going to be here. Those will be later. All right, now let's get right into UFC 274. We're going to start right at the main event of Charles Oliveira versus Justin Gaethje. And I really, really enjoy this fight. I think this is going to be a great fight. And looking at some of the these fighters and their previous performances, I'm really interested to see how each guy approaches this fight. Um, I think it's easier to tell what... Charles Oliveira is going to do based off his performances against Poirier and Chandler. I think those are some comparable stylistic matchups. Um, not perfect, not identical matches, but um, those guys hold some similar traits as Justin Gaethje. Um, Justin Gaethje fought Habib, obviously, um, another dominant grappler like Charles Oliveira. However, Habib grapples, you know, a lot differently than Charles. Um, so... Um, it's kind of a tough comparison to make there. If you're looking at film from Habib and Gaethje, it's kind of tough to, to look at that in the light of how's Charles going to utilize some of those skills, but, um, we can try. And because we have more kind of information and more to go off of with Charles Oliveira, we're going to start by talking about Charles. Um, and the, the first thing we're going to touch when we talk about Charles Oliveira is we're going to talk about his striking. Um, the fight starts on the feet and the way that Charles strikes is really underrated to me. Charles Charles does a good job of working his striking and his grappling together to see more success in both avenues, if that makes sense. Um, first of all, he throws a really, really good teep that works, first of all, to hit the opponent and, and damage their gas tank a little bit. Second of all, it pushes them backwards. And if he can land that teep and get you moving backwards, he's going to see a lot of success on the feet. Because what he does from there, once he hits you with that teep, and if he can get you up against the fence, the next thing that's going to happen is he's going to initiate a clinch sequence. And Charles Oliveira in the clinch is a very interesting fighter, and he poses a lot of challenges. Um, this is mostly stemming from his grappling, right? If you look at the way that he goes for takedowns, a lot of his takedown attempts come from that clinch. He doesn't have your he doesn't utilize your traditional double leg. He's going for the takedowns from the clinch positions. And whether that be trips, body locks, throws, that's where that's where he's looking to do his damage in the takedown front is off the cage. 
But what he also does is he'll utilize the elbows, he'll utilize some knees, and he will utilize those strikes up against the cage very well. So um, his opponent is is up against the cage, and the number one thing when Charles grabs you is, hey, I can't let him take me down. I cannot let him take me down. I cannot let him find a submission. So when you're going through that process of, all right, let me get an underhook. Let me try and get my back off the cage here. Let me get out of here. The next thing that happens is a knee comes and hits you in the body or an elbow comes and hits you in the eyebrow. And it's really an interesting fighter to fight um, when those tools are all working together in unison. It makes it very difficult to really, really defend those grappling um grappling attempts and defend those strikes you in the second the second you start really defending yourself and really trying to to stop some of those knees and elbows that's when the takedown comes and credit to Dustin Poirier because he actually did a good job defending those takedowns when they came he had a really really nice scramble out of one he had a really really good wizard that almost led him to an escape however Charles was able to find um Charles was able to to start some scrambles and, and come out on top of some scrambles so and he had a nice reversal as well in that sequence so um even when you really have a good moment there a good takedown defense like um when he stopped the takedown in the first round he, was, he still had his back up against the cage. Um, when he stopped the takedown in the second round, he still ended up on his back. So that's what Charles does that is so effective. Even if it's not the first takedown that gets you, he will chain something off that takedown and still find a way to come out on top or in an advantageous position. And when you stem that with the possibility of him landing an, a knee to your body or, or, or an elbow to the eyebrow, you know, those really, really strengthen those tools that he's using. And that is something that I really, really like from Oliveira. Um, he also has some success with his hands, right? He throws he throws some good jabs. He, he's very fundamental. He doesn't hit too hard, but he can, he can be accurate at times. Um, however, where he gets in trouble is when someone starts moving him forward. If Charles is on the back... Uh, back foot back uh, back on the heel walking backwards up against the cage that's when he starts to get hit a little more that's where Poirier had success finding him was when was when his back was up against the cage and he could kind of cut off his movements or Poirier was able to land some big strikes um, also um, when when Charles will stay in a combo a little bit too long or stay in a striking exchange a little bit too long it, he gets in trouble for example there's a sequence where he, he tries to um, counter with an uppercut on Dustin, and then Dustin's able to land a really nice hook after. Um, that might not be the best example, but um, a lot of times, Charles will really go for that, that second, that third, that fourth strike, and that's when he gets in trouble. Um, I think he's a lot more, he's, I think he's a lot better when he's throwing just boom, one, two, or boom, there's one, there's a counter, you know. Um, when he starts trying to pile on, that's when he starts finding himself in danger. Now, um, for Gaethje, he is, he has the ability to do what needs to be done to beat Charles. He, is, he can walk Charles down, and I think the big factor here is going to be the leg kicks. 
Justin Gaethje is obviously one of the best at kicking legs in MMA. And if he's able to kick the legs here, I think that is going to really hurt Charles because that will stifle his movement. That'll make it harder for him to get inside. That'll make it harder for him to get out of range of some of the big strikes. Um, I think the leg kicks have the potential to really change the, the course of this fight. And I'm not sure exactly how or if Charles will check or, or avoid leg kicks. I'm interested to see what he does and how he approaches um, defending those. Maybe he'll even try and time some takedowns off of those. I'm really interested, and I think that that is going to be a play a big role in the overall story of this fight is the leg kicks from Justin Gaethje and how each guy uses uh, uses and reacts to those leg kicks. From there, um, the next question we have to ask ourselves is: Can Gaethje defend the takedown, and can Gaethje prevent Oliveira from advancing position and finding submissions if he finds himself getting taken down? Um, and if you were to solely look at the Habib fight, you would say no, right? You would say, oh, Habib was able to take him down, advance quickly, and find the submission very quickly. And is that true? Yes. Habib had a lot of success. Now, Habib is one of the best grapplers in MMA history, so I really struggle being like, oh, well, Habib was able to do it, so it'll be a walk in the park for Charles. Charles is a tremendous striker and also one of the, or excuse me, a tremendous grappler and one of the gra best grapplers in UFC history. However, I just have a hard time envisioning it's going to be as easy for Charles as it was for Habib. I think he will have success on the ground. I, I think, however, Gaethje will be able to put up a little bit more of a fight than he did against Habib. And another interesting aspect here is Gaethje was a college wrestler. Um, everybody knows that, and they always give that to his credit when it comes towards takedown defense. Um, but I'm really interested to see how strong that takedown defense looks. Because if he hasn't been using the grappling, if he hasn't been using the wrestling, some of those skills are going to deteriorate, right? He wrestled in college a long time ago. He was a great wrestler, but does he still have those tools in the bag? If you don't use them, you lose them. So I'm really interested to see how that takedown defense is going to be used. And I also think that since a lot of the takedowns from Oliveira come from the clinch up against the cage, I think that is going to help him um, in this fight, especially. Because if Gaethje is very good at sprawling, right? If he can sprawl and really defend a double leg or a single leg takedown in the open, that isn't going to be as beneficial in this fight because Charles is going to be attempting a lot of takedowns from the cage. So that traditional sprawl uh, uh, defense that you would see in a college wrestling match is not going to come as is not going to be as useful in this fight as it would against someone like Habib who wants to get you get a, a takedown and will attempt to take down in the open uh, octagon. Now. Um, that's not to say that his wrestling experience is completely thrown out the window because that would be completely not true. There is still something to, even if you're up against a cage, digging under hooks, you know, using a wizard, using those tools that you learned in wrestling and in applying those to MMA. So I think he will have those tools and it will help him, um, just not to the extent of someone who's going to go a heavy American wrestling type approach to grappling. Now, um... Leaning with, with the information we have, I am going to lean towards 
Charles Oliveira in this fight. I think that early, Justin Gaethje is going to have a lot of success in that first round. I think that Trevor Whitman is going to have a great game plan for Justin Gaethje. I think he's going to come out. I think he's going to land some really big shots. And he's going to come out and he's going to land some big leg kicks. I think that after the first round, everyone's going to be sitting there going, oh my God, Gaethje's going to be the world champion. Um, that's what I'm ready for. I think it's going to be similar to the Poirier fight where in that second and third round, Oliveira really turns the tide. Um, if you if Charles can get Gaethje down, I think it's going to really turn the tide of this fight. Um, especially... Another thing here is I'd be interested to see Gaethje's approach to getting off bottom. If he does a similar thing to Poirier where he's just going to sit in the guard, I, I don't like that. Because sitting in the guard can be can be useful if you win one round and you go, okay, we'll go into the last three tied 1-1. One, one. However, Charles in that fight with Dustin did a great job wearing him down from the guard. Whether that be some elbows... And he was able to he was able to land some elbows, but not a bunch, right? What he did a lot was the hands to the face, really rubbing the face, covering the mouth, taking the elbow, the bone in your elbow, and just rubbing it on your face, rubbing it on the bridge of your nose, making it very uncomfortable for about four four minutes. And for that four minutes, didn't attempt a single submission, didn't attempt to transition. I I don't believe. I be, he was just sitting there really punishing Dustin. And you saw that in the third round. You saw the effects of that in the third round. Dustin Poirier, who is someone who has been in wars and has come out on top in the later round of wars. Um, just look at the Hooker fight. Dan Hooker wrote one rounds one and two. Poirier came out one, three, four, five. Um, he has great success in the later rounds of fights. But in this fight... Oliveira was able to wear him down in that second round where in the third round that 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 entry that Charles had to getting to the back was far easier than the takedown attempts in rounds one and two he got to the back so much easier after he wore him down so I, I think that Gaethje will have a lot more success if he tries to get up off bottom but that also comes with its own risk because you can try and get up off, up off bottom and you can get caught in, caught in a submission and for that reason there, the I, I think that eventually Charles is going to get a takedown. It might not be in round one. It might not it might it might come in round two, but I think he's going to sub find a submission in the first couple of or excuse me, he's going to find a takedown in the first couple of rounds. You'll see the tide turning and you'll he'll eventually find a submission. Um when you look at Charles's record and the submissions he has, they don't a lot some of them aren't early, right? Um, I'll pull it up just for some, you know, some record. The rear naked choke against Poirier came in round three. His guillotine against Kevin Lee came in round three. His he had an anaconda in round two. Rear naked choke round one, round two. So he does, he has a lot of early submissions. I guess I was wrong on that, but you know, he he's able to go out there, and I think I think being able to get Poirier in round three. Maybe I just hold too much weight in that, but I, I think that if you can withstand an early round and an early flurry from Poirier, I think you can do it again. I do think it's going to be more dangerous this time when you mix in the leg kicks and the extra. I think Gaethje is just a tad bit more powerful than Poirier, so I think when you throw that extra power 
and the extra the the leg kicks i think it's going to be a little little bit more difficult for him this time around but i think eventually charles Oliveira will be able to find a submission and he's going to get out of there if you ask me for a round i will say round three so that is my prediction for this fight give me charles Oliveira round three i think cage is going to win the first round but i think we're going to like i said i think we're going to see the tide turns and we're going to see more success from Oliveira as it gets later and eventually that is going to be capped off by a second or third round submission now um the co-main event we have rose nama Yunus versus carla esparza these are two fighters i'm very high on and I'm really interested to see exactly how Rose Nama Yunus reacts to the takedowns of Carla Esparza. And let me just say this before we get too into this. I'm not holding too much weight on, on the first fight. Um, I don't even remember when that was. That was a long time ago. I, I don't like to look at fights that took place years ago. That fight happened in 2014. I don't like using fights from 2014 to justify an outcome in 2022 doesn't seem smart to me so i'm not even going to mention the first the first fight again but um i'm interested to see how rose will react to the constant takedowns i think carla is going to work hard to get her to the ground and get her to the ground early and often so i'm interested interested to see how rose reacts to that um i think she has some good takedown defense some good grappling and some good jujitsu that will all really help her defend some of those takedowns and when it's on the feet rose is four inches taller and i think if she can utilize that range she's going to be able to see a lot of success on the feet i think that rose has great kicks and i think if she can use if she can use those kicks against carla um she'll be able to win and have a lot of success on the feet um I I do think Carla is going to be able to get some takedowns and get some control on the ground. I don't think this is going to be all Rose. I think Carla will have some moments where she gets a takedown and, and really suffocates Rose and lands some good ground to pound. I, I do think we will see Rose on her back in this fight. I think that Car the way Carla grapples is really... She, she, will, she will take the ground and pound opportunities when they come but she will not force them. She will she will really, really utilize control and control time to earn a decision victory. And I think that that will lead to her winning a couple rounds, but ultimately I think Rose Nami Yunus gets this done by decision. I think she wins three rounds to two probably, maybe four rounds to one. So I think we see Carla have some success, but ultimately Eileen Rose Nami Yunus at the end of the day, I think Rose Namajunas is going to find a way to win. Um, her fights with Wei Li are two great examples of finding a way to win. She gets the KO early in one fight, and in the second fight, she really gets tested a lot more. And she has to find a way to win, and she's able to. And I think that skill of just finding a way to win, it doesn't always have to be pretty. You don't have to win every fight by KO. Not every fight has to be a landslide decision, you know, 50, 44, you know, sometimes you just have to find a way to win. And that is something I think Rose is good at. And I think that is something her coach, Trevor Whitman, is also very good at. So I think Rose finds a way to win a very tight and closely contested fight. Um, but ultimately, I think she comes out with her hand raised. And so that means... I've got both champions defending 
their belts uh, Saturday at UFC 274. Moving on to Michael Chandler and Tony Ferguson. Now, this fight is uh, it's an interesting one, and it's it's a hard one for me to discuss. Um, I am a big Tony Ferguson fan. He's one of the reasons I became a fan of the sport. Um, if you don't know anything about Tony, Tony um, has a history at GV, wrestled at Grand Valley, and I currently go to Grand Valley. So Tony Ferguson is someone that I think very highly of and I am a major fan of. And the other thing about Tony is every time I'm doubtful about Tony, Tony will always say something that makes me go, oh, Tony's got this. After, you know, even it was even it started before he even lost to Gaethje with the weight cut. He was like, oh, I'll be fine. You know, I wake up for I've, I've done this. I can make weight, you know, twice in a month. I'm fine. And was did that affect his performance? We don't know for sure. Um, but he had me convinced that it wouldn't affect his performance. And then after the Gaethje fight, um, same thing happened with Oliveira and Daryush where Especially the Daryush fight, I was thinking Tony's going to get back. Tony's going to get back on track. He's going to win this one. Um, I like his mindset. I like his attitude. I like where he's at. And come fight time, um, he doesn't perform well. And it's happening again this time where when this fight was booked, I'm pretty sure I sat here and said Tony Ferguson had no chance. Um, Now, we are, it's Thursday, so we're two days away from fight day, and now I'm starting to think that Tony's got a chance, right? I see the interviews where Tony is talking about how he's changed his training. He has brought back old coaches from Grand Valley. He has done things, and he has made changes and and, and has made improvements and has tried to get back to his wrestling roots and his old style. And those are all things that sound tremendous, right? Those are all things that make me go, oh, I can't wait to see this. Tony's going to go out there and put on a show. I, I really, really hope he does. But at the same time, I have to remind myself what Tony Ferguson is stepping into that octagon. Are we getting the Tony Ferguson that fought Lando Venata? Are we getting the Tony that fought Pettis, Cerrone? Are we getting one of those guys? Or are we getting the Tony that fought Daryush? Because those are not the same fighter, right? Those are not the same fighter. Those guys are not on the same caliber, right? It's just, if we see the Tony that fought Daryush, I really struggle to believe that Chandler doesn't win this fight. If we see the Tony that we saw against Pettis or any of the other guys that he fought during that 12-fight win streak, then we're going to have a war and an all-time great fight on our hands. And I hope we have that. Um... Now, like I said, I'm not convinced that that, that's going to happen, but I hope it does. Now, before I give you my prediction, you can probably already kind of guess where I'm going with my prediction before even talking about Chandler, but I do want to talk a little bit about Michael Chandler because um, he is a great fighter as well. Michael Chandler is no slouch, right? Michael Chandler, even though he's lost two in a row, was in a war with Gaethje, and If Tony Ferguson comes out here and tries to make this a war, Michael Chandler may play into that. And I don't think Michael Chandler or Tony are going to quit in this fight. I don't think there's quit in either one of these guys. Um, 
I don't think either guy is going to break the other guy. And um, Michael Chandler also has great wrestling. So I think if Tony really goes back to those wrestling roots and tries for some takedowns and tries to get some control time and some ground and pound, I'm not necessarily convinced that he will be able to take Chandler down. Um, if he does, if Tony is able to take Chandler down and get some time on top, I think that would really, really change this fight entirely. But I'm not convinced that that he would be able to take Chandler down. So, um, and also the power difference in between these two is very notable. Michael Chandler is going to have a lot more power in there, and I think that's going to play into his hand and his strategy immensely. So at the end of all this, I'm really struggling to pick between Michael Chandler by KO and Michael Chandler by decision. I could see Chandler going out there and landing some really big shots and putting Tony away, but I could also see him going out there and really etching out a, a decision victory. Um, even though he, he the, if he wins by decision, I think it's going to be a very dominant decision, 30-27, 30-26 type score. Um, so... Um, I think either way, the performance is going to be similar. It's just a matter of fact of, does he find that KO does, or, or a TKO? Um, I think if he does knock him out, it's going to come a little bit later in round three or round, maybe late in round two. Um, I don't think it happens in the first round. It could, but um, I would lean a little bit later stoppage. So um, for the purpose of making a prediction, I'm going to go Michael Chandler by KO round three. Do I want him to win by KO? No, I'd love to see Tony go out there and show the Tony of old and, and get a win. But um, I'm just not going to get my hopes up. And um, I'm going to live with the fact that Tony could go out there and, and get finished. Um, it's a lot easier if, if you're ready. If you're ready to see a fighter lose, it's a lot easier to see him lose. So that's, that's the mindset I'm going in with on that one. Now, the next two fights on the card are both very difficult to predict. Ovin St. Prue and Mauricio Shogun Hua is the first one we're going to talk about. Both of these guys are in really interesting spots where they're both legends, have both been in very high positions. Both guys have fought John Jones. And both of them are kind of in a state where, you know, they're, they're at uh, an interesting spot in their career where, Shogun Hua has won a couple fights in a row. Ovin St. Prue has lost a couple, I, I believe. Um, St. Prue has been up and down between heavyweight and light heavyweight. Let's see, Hua has lost his last fight to Paul Craig. Then he's got a win over Noguera, a draw, draw to Paul Craig, win to Tyson Pedro, lost to Anthony Smith. So he's kind of been bouncing around in between the win and loss column. Ovin St. Prue. Has a loss to Tanner Bozer, lost to Jamal Hill, win against Alonzo Menafield, lost to Ben Rothwell. So he's kind of been up and down between heavyweight, light heavyweight. And ultimately, I'm not sure. This is another situation where I don't know who's stepping in the octagon. Um, I'm going to lean Shogun Hua. I think that the jumping of weight classes is hard to manage. And I think in this fight... The drop from heavyweight to light heavyweight, even though he's a natural light heavyweight, I think that drop back down may hurt Ovin St. Proof's performance a little bit. So I'm going to lean with Shogun Hua on the side of weight class consistency, and I think he's going to be ready to go at 205 pounds. Moving on, like I said, another very hard fight to predict. Donald Cerrone 
versus Joe Lozon. Now, Cerrone and Lozon, both guys, once again, who have lost a couple, aren't on the best streak in their career. Cerrone hasn't won since 2019. Joe Lozon has one win, but before that, he had a handful of losses. And ultimately, in this one, I I think that... I think that Cowboy Cerrone is going to have the edge on the feet here, especially if he can come out and really utilize some kicks the way he can and show some of the striking that everyone knows that he has. Um, Joe Lozon is also a great grappler, and Donald Cerrone has been competing in some grappling events, and I think that that practice and repetition in the grappling um, world is going to help Cerrone stay safe in some of those grappling exchanges. And Cerrone is also someone who has great jiu-jitsu on his own. So when you can, when you have his great jiu-jitsu and, and recent grappling competitions, I think those are both very strong things going his way. And I think he's going to have the edge on the feet. So my prediction is going to be Cowboy Cerrone by decision. I think he does enough to win the fight when it's on the feet. And I think he stays out of danger on the ground. So that is my thought process on picking Donald Cerrone by decision. Now, we are getting into the prelims. We're not going to talk about every fight. We're going to jump around a little bit. The first fight we're going to talk about, though, is Randy Brown versus Chaos Williams. This is a fight I really like. I really like Chaos Williams, and I really like Randy Brown. And one part of me is saying pick Chaos, and one part of me is saying pick Randy. Um, Randy is a little bit more well-rounded, has you know, submission wins, a little bit more of them. Um, however, Cass Williams is going to be a the very powerful striker, and I think that that's going to play in his advantage. So ultimately, I'm going to go with Chaos Williams. I think when this fight's on the feet, I think that Chaos Williams is going to be able to land some, some solid strikes, some powerful strikes. I think he can get this done by KO, but I also wouldn't be surprised if Randy Brown makes this a very close fight, threatens some submissions, and maybe even gets a decision victory or submission victory of his own. But once again, for the purpose of prediction, I am going to go with Chaos Williams by KO. Now... Um, moving around a little bit, like I said, we're going to go over to Brandon Royval and Matt Schnell. Brandon Royval and Matt Schnell should probably be on the main card in all honesty. We've got ranked guys at 125 pounds. You put them on the first fight on the card. Let them open it up. I think this fight is going to be a banger. Brandon Royval is someone who has fought a lot of the top competition at 125 pounds. Matt Schnell is very good in his own right. Both coming off fights against Roguero Bontorin. Um, my apologies, I always butcher his name. I know how to say the first name and the last name, but I can never say them together at the same time. Um, so my apologies to him. Um, with that being said, I'm leaning towards Brandon Royval. I think that he is going to go out there and he hunts submissions. And I think, that, or excuse me, he hunts finishes. He hunts, he hunts, um... He hunts those finishes. I think he's able to find his finish or get close to a finish at minimum. And so if he gets close to a finish, I think he's able to get a decision victory. But I, I, I think that at some point, Brandon Royval will be able to land that big shot that really puts Chanel out. Um, he's very creative when he's looking for those big shots, and I think that helps him. 
and he also fights at a high pace and he's willing to get into a war another thing that i think is going to help him so i'm going to give this one to brandon royval and let's go ko round two for royval that is my prediction now um Blagnoy Ivanov and Marcus Raguerero de Lima. Um, another interesting fight. Ivanov is, you know, kind of been on a slide, has lost a couple fights. And de Lima, on the other hand, is winning. And this is kind of a situation where one guy is on the up and up and one guy is starting to slide. And those fights are always really hard to predict. Ivanov has been ranked top 10 and has been, you know, had has had success at a top level in the heavyweight division, and he's starting to slide back down. Delima hasn't been ranked, and he's starting to work his way towards the rankings. Now he's got a ranked opponent. Um, and these fights, very hard to predict because they can go both ways. When you look at a fight like Kelvin Cater versus Giga Chikatse, Chikatse was climbing those rankings quick, broke into the top five against Kelvin Cater. Kelvin Cater coming off loss to Max Holloway. Everyone's starting to think he's going to start sliding. Everyone's picking Giga. And then Max comes, or excuse me, Calvin comes out and shows, no, 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 no. I'm the veteran here. I'll, I'll win this fight. And he did it emphatically. On the opposite side of that coin, you've got Rob Font and Cheeto Vera, where, you know, Rob Font's coming off a loss, a pretty bad loss to Aldo. And he's starting to slide, but Aldo's a great fighter. And then you've got Cheeto, who's really climbing those rankings. Who's number? He was number nine, or num, I think he was number nine at the time. And he's really working his way up those rankings. And he's finally got his opportunity against a top five guy. And he goes out there and dominates the guy in the top five. Two very similar situations, and two very different outcomes. Um, Ivanov and Delima. One guy's not ranked. One guy is ranked. You've got the guy climbing through, getting his ranked fight. You've got the other guy who slid down and is almost out of those rankings. So what are we going to see? I lean Ivanov. I think that the experience of fighting the top echelon of the heavyweight division is going to play a role. And I think that experience is ultimately what is going to help him against Delima here. Um, Delima, a very good fighter in his own right. Um, his losses are against established competition like Alexander Romanov, Stefan Struve, Ovin St. Prue are his last three losses. So um, all guys who are great fighters. And um, he's beat guys like Adam um, Wiesorek, Ben Sassoli, Maurice Green, Ben Rothwell. Um I just think that that step up to the next tier of competition is going to be a tough step. And I think that Ivanov is able to get a win here. What other heights are we going to talk about? Let's touch on Andre Fialo and Cameron Van Camp real quick. Van Camp making his UFC debut. Fialo, two fights into his UFC career, one and one. Um, I'm going to go with Fialo here. I really like his win over Miguel Baeza. And I think a win over Miguel Baeza is very meaningful in that division. And I think that he's able to get it done against the guy making his UFC debut. Tracy Cortez versus Melissa Gatto. Two fighters at 125 pounds who are some of the better prospects in that division. Gatto is 8-0-2. Tracy Cortez is 9-1. Both fighters have had some good performances recently. 
Um, give me Melissa Gatto, though. She's got a win over Sujar Eubanks. Um, Eubanks, not very well liked because of some of her out-of-the-octagon problems, um, and deservedly so. Um, but she is a very good fighter and has won a lot of fights in that UFC octagon. So for Melissa Gatto to get a finish against her, I think it's very meaningful. Holds weight, so I'm going to lean Gatto over Cortez, and we'll take Gatto be a decision. And then, um, I'm not going to talk about any of these fights specifically, but um, the first three fights of the night, the first three fights of the night, you've got Cladison Rodriguez versus CJ Vargara. You've got Lupita Goninez versus Ariane Carnalesi. And you've got Journey Nelson versus Ferne Garcia. All of these fighters, um, not much UFC experience, but do have some good records. Um, the biggest loss for any of these is CJ Vergara and Journey Newsome each have three losses. Everyone else is in the one or two loss column. So make sure you keep an eye on the, on the first three fights of the night. You might eventually see a top prospect in one of those fights. And then that leaves us with two fights we did not talk about. Um, first fight, Francisco Trinaldo versus Danny Roberts. I don't really have a lot of that, uh, a lot of thoughts on that fight. Um, I would lean Danny Roberts. I just like the younger guy in this scenario. Um, and then Macy Chuzon versus Norma Dumont. Um, this is female, 145 pounds. And no disrespect to either of these fighters. However, there are no rankings for that division. So it really makes it tough to get, you know, interested in, in, in into the rankings at, at 145 pounds when there is none. And the champion is hosting the ultimate fighter for a different division and getting ready to fight for the belt in a different division. It makes it really tough to really care about this 145 pound fight. So I'm not big on this one. I, and I really don't have much of an opinion on either fighter. Now, that is everything for UFC 274. Um, before we get out of here, a couple more things to touch on. We will be back on either Sunday or Monday with a recap for UFC 274. So make sure you tune in for that. Um, that kind of depends on how the weekend plays out. We've got Mother Day, Mother's Day. So we might um, push that back to Monday. Um, but there will be a recap out eventually. Um, in that recap, we will talk about UFC 274. We're going to talk about some fight announcements and some fight bookings. There have been a handful of fights that got announced over the last couple days. So those are important to talk about. And then we... Um, oh, there's also some rumors. So we'll give it, you know, today's Thursday. By, by Sunday or Monday, we might have some more news drop on fight announcements. So we'll give those time to develop so we can include those in there as well. And then we will also do a preview of UFC Fight Night, Jan Blachowicz versus Alexander Rachik, that will take place all this weekend, Sunday or Monday. And then the last thing I have is that I may eventually talk about the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, I planned to do that last time. They had the Ultimate Fighter, and it really didn't go anywhere because the season wasn't all too great. So I'm not sure if I'm going to talk about that on the podcast yet. Um... If anyone would like to hear me speaking on The Ultimate Fighter, I'd be more than willing to watch it and speak on it. But um, 
if I don't like it, I'm not going to go out of my way to discuss the Ultimate Fighter. And the last kind of thing we've got to touch on before we get out of here is that this was recorded on Thursday. So if anything happens with weight cuts, if we get any fights canceled between Thursday and Saturday, I will not have seen them. If there's any weight cut issues, if anyone comes in way over, uh, I didn't know about those when making these predictions. So if you're kind of confused about why I didn't mention those potential issues, it's because I didn't. I, I recorded before they, they came about. So um, there's that information for you. But regardless, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. And I hope you are back next week for the recap of UFC 274. Thank you and goodbye.